0: It is my privilege to introduce John Cernilia. Uh, Caden mentioned him earlier. He is c- has come to visit us from the United Methodist Children's Home in Decatur, and uh, they're just moving offices and doing all kinds of stuff. They also have a Gainesville office out here. Um, there, there is uh, w- through the Vine. One of the things that the Children's Home I- is working on doing is to connect to through our connection group and in this area. And I think John will talk a little bit about what they're doing in the message. Um, but the Children's Home uh, provides. Um, foster care support and and does a lot for, for children who are in need. And um, so, John, I wanted to welcome you this morning, and uh, I do want to pray for you, too. Father, I ask that you would, in this moment, Lord, that, that you would empty John of John and allow him to be filled with you, that the words he says would be his voice in your word. May we hear those words, and may they fall on fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's really a privilege to be here with you this morning. Thank you for welcoming me. I, um, I don't get to worship much with my family because I do this sort of thing almost every Sunday somewhere around North Georgia, and I'm thrilled to be with you here this morning. Uh, my family this morning, if you're wondering, uh, my wife Cassandra and our boy Zach uh, are worshiping at Peachtree City United Methodist Church where we make our home. He's turning 16 this month. I should have asked that you pray for him, Mike. <laughs> Uh, during, the, uh, during the prayer this morning. I want to read our scripture this morning from Matthew. It comes from the, chap- the 11th chapter, verses 16 to 19 and 25 to 30, and you see them on the screen in front of you. But to what will I compare this generation? Is it like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another? We played the flute for you, and we did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, you've all heard this verse before. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. All of you today suffering illness, suffering financial concern, all of you weary over weather, come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Join me in a word of prayer, if you would. Gracious and loving God, these are words that you give to us and they provide comfort to us. May we dwell on the, the meaning of your message and your word to us this morning, not just during this time here at Arbor Point during this hour, not just here in this community or this county, but indeed, Lord, in our lives. May we live out the call that you have given to us to place our burdens before you, to kneel before the cross, and to give them to you because your burden is easy and you are light. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, more and more we hear this idea of stories, knowing our story, telling our story. And an interesting thing about stories is that They convey facts. As you hear a story about a person, you learn things, or or about a place, you learn things. Uh, They also convey the essence of the person, or or the group, or the people. You all here at Arbor Point have a story, and this morning I was asking you, uh, several of you, what the story is. You've been in ministry for 13 years. You started worshiping in in a school a couple of years ago, Uh, You made it to this remarkable place that you're in now. We individually have stories as well, and another interesting thing about stories is that we choose day by day, minute by minute, what we're going to share, what story we will share about ourselves. Um, So I'm going to talk about my story, and I'm going to talk about the the role of stories in our journey as Christians. Uh, And I'll talk about the story of the United Methodist Children's Home as well and why that's important to children and their story also. So here's my story. It's actually a story I've almost never shared publicly in a group setting like this. I grew up in New York on Long Island. Now, I know I'm in Georgia, and I know New Yorkers sometimes have you know, sort of a reputation, <laughs> um, but I'm in church, and you're gracious in welcoming <laughs> me. Uh, it's okay to laugh. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're laughing. So I grew up in New York on Long Island, about 30 miles east of Manhattan. I actually thought every kid grew up close to an Empire State Building. I thought every kid on the planet had a place like Manhattan to go and to have fun. So I remember vividly, as though it was yesterday, uh, I had just finished first grade, it was summertime, and I was young for a completed first grader, I was six. My mom brought us into Manhattan that day to go to the Museum of Natural History, a really remarkable museum in the middle of Manhattan. We were there with Robbie Rosero. now my last name is Sernelia. there's a vowel at the end of it, and on Long Island there's a lot of kids with vowels at the end of their name. Um, I'm part of a, the Italian culture and tradition. And so Robbie Rossero and his mom were with us, and there we are at the Museum of Natural History. Here's what I remember, and, and here's my story. I remember ordering a hot dog with sauerkraut and mustard, New Yorkers like sauerkraut on their hot dogs, uh, as well as french fries. And the last thing I remember before a really remarkable moment in my story, is looking at the cash register. Remember those old cash registers where the numbers would flash up? They were mechanical. They weren't digital. Some of you, like me, are old enough to remember that. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that's a really expensive hot dog. Well, the next thing I remember is being flat on a wheelchair. And a period of time had passed, because I wasn't in that dining hall, the cafeteria, anymore. I was being pushed, I was, sit on, I was on the wheelchair being pushed into an ambulance. I had suffered a single grand mal seizure. And at that moment, I was labeled an epileptic. This is my story. So I am six years old, rushed to this medical facility. And if you've ever experienced anything like this or know a, a family member or friend with epilepsy, they do some things to you. They take these little diodes and they paste them with paste on your head. They're trying to measure your brainwave activity. Well, I turned 50 last year. I'm proud to tell you that. And um, uh, back then, I was told, my mother was told, and I was told that I had abnormal brainwave activity. My wife would probably tell you that's (laughs) still true today. (laughs) And some of my friends would as well, and and I'm not going to argue it. Um, But but the long and the short of it is um, I, I had suffered a seizure. And, of course, now the fear was, well, what does this mean for this child and his life and his journey? And so I would go every year to get an EEG uh, to a neurologist, Dr. Moriarty. He's long retired. I remember him like I saw him yesterday. And I was on medication three times a day, phenobarbital, dialantin. I remember the summers as a kid having to rush home at lunchtime to take medicine. I remember as I was approaching 16, my boy, Zach, turned 16 this month. uh, The doctor saying to me, we're not sure you'll ever be able to drive because you'd be a danger to other people if you drive. And so I was labeled Uh, as an epileptic. During this same period of time, I met a boy named Roy Seeland. I came from an Italian family. Roy came from a Norwegian family. He had blonde hair. Um, And I thought that was pretty cool to hang out with a kid with blonde hair. Roy befriended me at the bus stop, uh, starting at fifth grade. We played trumpet together until 12th grade. Roy started inviting me to a small little church, an evangelical free church, a small congregation of about 50 or 60 people. And those folks witnessed to me. They talked to me about a life with Jesus Christ, about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this boy, I was, I was um, starting to go to that church when I was probably 10 or 12 years old, um, and I remember, uh, I remember going to youth group and just being welcomed and loved, still full of fear and anxiety and uncertainty about my future. I started dating and thinking, if I ever get married, am I going to pass this thing? This epilepsy onto my children. Um, So, this fear just continued to live with me. But the good news is that um, through my decision when I was 16 to accept Jesus Christ, my story changed. My story changed dramatically. I went to Houghton College, which is a Wesleyan school in New York, because my friend Roy went there. I met my wife of 25 years. Uh, We celebrated 25 years last year. And she and I have, have literally traveled this world in ministry, in Christian ministry. As, as an expression of our faith, uh, a call that we actually received when we were at Houghton College together. I, I'm pleased to tell you the story does end from a medical perspective very positively as well. When I was 25, I finally decided to pay for my own MRI. The doctor said I was fine and I was weaned off medication. But for all of those years, for all of those years I lived in fear until I realized I could give that over to Jesus. And, the, and, and, and so my story isn't going to end the way it could have, had I not made that decision. So stories matter. They matter to us as individuals and to congregations. As I told you, I travel every Sunday. I've been in over 100 churches in North Georgia in the last two years or so. Here's what I observe about churches and their story. Some churches tell a story like Paul would describe it, outdoing one another in love. That's the story of some churches. Some churches are doing really well. The numbers look great. And the story, honestly, from an outsider's perspective, looks like bragging, old-school bragging. Some churches are, are earnestly seeking and scratching their heads and pursuing what God has for them. They try new worship services. They try new d- and different kinds of staff. They, um, they try different Bible studies. They pray earnestly to God, what do you have for us, Lord, for this community? Uh, when, they, when something isn't working and they discover that uh, they, they, they pray, and, and they uh, in their moments of faithfulness, they lay that down at the cross because Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy. So churches, like we as individuals, have stories. Junius Dodson talks about it this way. He leads uh, discipleship ministries. And his, his admonition to us in our journey as churches is pretty simple. Here's his premise. Churches spend too much time worrying We spend too much time worrying about what used to be. I visit a lot of churches that are 100, 150 years old. They remember the good old days. Their worry uh, has paralyzed them about, well, 50 years ago, here's what we were, and we're not that today, and they worry about it. Other churches are growing, and they worry, and and they think to themselves, well, if we only had this, if we only had this position or this place or this program, then we'd be able to serve more people and reach more people for Jesus. Uh, and so Dodson says very simply, be in ministry to people in your vicinity. Your pastor Mike this morning was telling me what a missional church you are and how you reach out to the community, and I celebrate that with you. Uh, I encourage you to, to build relationships with kids like I was uh, when I was six and seven and, and full of worry and fear, and the church reached out to me and welcomed me in, uh, and I have, been, I have been giving to the church ever since then. I know of a church in Evans, Georgia. Anybody know where Evans, Georgia is? All right, we know, we, uh, you've got your geography down. Evans is a suburb, although people who live there probably wouldn't like me saying this. It's a suburb of Augusta. It's in Columbia County. We just launched a foster care ministry there through the children's home. And I was at Lewis Memorial United Methodist Church. Uh, you, you know where Lewis Memorial is. I lived in Thompson. You lived in Thompson, okay. Thompson First is another great Methodist church supporting our ministry. So I don't know the geography perhaps as well as you do, but Lewis Memorial is at an intersection. And you could just see the development all around you. New homes going up, uh, new, new strip malls with Kroger and Walmart, all that stuff. It's exploding. And so with that comes that dreaded word that starts with a T, traffic. Lots and lots of traffic. And people who lived in that part of Evans for a long time are actually really stressed about it. So here's what Lewis Memorial does. A couple times a week, from 4 until 6 p.m., they're in the community. They're actually, this is hard to imagine, they're actually having people tell their story in the middle of a traffic jam. So here's what they do. They bring bottles of water, they stand on the corner, and as cars are inching closer and closer to the stop sign, it's actually a four-way stop, but there's not a light yet, which is even worse sometimes, right? People are rolling their windows down. The church is being the church and asking people how they're doing, how's their day going, They're handing them water bottles. They're praying with them. I was there a couple weeks ago at church. I'm hearing stories of people coming to tears, just telling their story to the church. Some people have started worshiping at Lewis Memorial because the church was there to give people an opportunity to tell their stories. You know, maybe each of us in our own lives, maybe maybe, maybe I in my own journey uh, can be honest about what my story sounds like. Um, It's been a while. I'm 50, and it was 16. I was 16 when I accepted Christ. So what about my story today? Am I still feeling that closeness to the Lord like I did when I made that decision as a teenager? Am I still the Christian I want to be, that I set out to be? Are you still the Christian that you're called to be, uh, that you had ambition to be when you made that decision, whenever it might have been for you in your life? What's your story in regard to that? And as Dodson would say, don't fret about what we you don't have. Let's not do that. Let's hear the invitation from Christ to come to him. Well, we at the United Methodist Children's Home have a story, too. It's a pretty fascinating story. Your United Methodist Children's Home was started in 1871. To put that in perspective, that was 15 years before Coca-Cola was founded. That's a long, old, rich story. In 1871, we were founded six years after the Civil War ended, because there were orphans roaming the countryside with no place to live. Dad went off and fought in the war, gave his life for the war. Mom had six or eight kids on the farm. She couldn't feed them. So here's the really cool thing about the children's home in our history As, as Methodists, as Christians. The church was there. Mom would bring her children to her pastor and say, Pastor, I can't care for my children. I can't feed them. The house was destroyed in the war we don't have the farm anymore, I don't know what to do. And the pastor would say, no worries, we have an orphanage in Decatur, Georgia, and children would be brought from all over the countryside in Georgia to Decatur, Georgia, which by the way was part of the countryside back then, it is not today, and children would be cared for. And so for about 100 years that was the story of the United Methodist Children's Home. We were an orphanage caring for as many as 150 children on our campus. Our story has been changing, as you may or may not have heard. Interestingly, and we didn't really anticipate this, as we started telling our new story in our new chapter, um, it actually drummed up some fear and some anxiety and some anger. Our board made the decision in January of this year to sell our campus, the campus that we had owned for 144 years in Decatur, Georgia, 77 acres of land. Some people, maybe because of what's going on in society, thought that that was a story with a sad ending. Some people thought, oh, they're closing. We never used the word close or closing in our, in our communications in our story, but that's what some people heard. Some people remember Simpson Wood. If you've been around as a Methodist for a while, you remember Simpson Wood. You know that that was a piece of real estate that was sold and it closed. Well, your United Methodist Children's Home sold its campus in Decatur not to close but to grow, to be more present in local communities all over North Georgia. Uh, to be here to work with you and the Vine and with other congregations so that we can be a ministry together. So the story of the children's home at our campus is one about selling so we can serve more children. Again, let's remember the scripture, Jesus' invitation to join him, pick up uh, his yoke, for it is light and that he is gentle. So here's the new narrative, the new story for the United Methodist Children's Home. Today we serve about 240 people a day, more than the 150 we were serving when we were in orphanage, at the height of the orphanage in the 1950s, 240 people a day. About 140 or 150 of those are living in Christian homes like yours and mine in a foster care situation. You know what we discovered? The best place for a kid who's experienced trauma and, and the best opportunity for that story to change, like my story changed, the best opportunity for a child's story to change is not to live on a big campus, under a roof with 8 or 10 or 12 other kids who have experienced the same trauma, the best place for a child who's been traumatized to live is under a roof with a family, with a mom and a dad and other kids running around the house where there's Bible time and scripture lesson on occasion before bedtime, where there's prayer before meals, where the family gets up and goes to church on Sunday morning. That's the best place for a child to be. That's the best opportunity we as the church have to rewrite the story of a child who has experienced trauma. So now we have partnerships with churches all over Georgia. Uh, As I mentioned, we're out in Augusta now. We've launched ministry there, foster care ministry there. We have an office in Noonan, Georgia now, and we're serving all the way down into LaGrange and Carroll County and Douglas County. We have an office in Hall County, which is serving over 50 children in surrounding counties, including right here where we are. And that's part of why I'm here today, is to call upon you to discern if perhaps you as a family or you as a congregation are being called to help rewrite the story of children in your community. One of the tragedies of children in foster care is that they sometimes have to be moved from where they live to entirely different parts of the state. We're launching a foster ministry in Augusta because we don't want kids who live in Richmond County to have to be placed in Hall County. That doesn't make any sense. They need to be close to their school friends. They need to be close to their parents. So the church can do two things. The church can welcome children into homes, maybe one of yours, so that maybe a couple months from now there are additional children running down the the aisles here. And maybe when you do the Bible study for a child on a Sunday morning, there's a couple more kids standing here. And those kids are cared for by families in this congregation. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I can foster. That's not for me. Uh, the good news is I didn't bring children with me today, so I'm not going to be <laughs> handing them out. I'm not going to be handing them out for you to take home on your way to lunch today. I promise. Uh, there's, a, there's a period for discernment, and we'll talk about that. But if you can't, if you're discerned and, and sure that you can't foster right now, that's okay. You can help support a family who does. So maybe I worship here at Arbor Point, and I bring our foster children here on a Sunday on Sundays, a- and maybe I'm just a little more stressed because I've got an additional child in my house well, maybe you can cook a home-cooked meal and bring it to my family. Uh, Maybe my lawn's gotten a little high and the neighbors are, you know, twisting their nose at me because I haven't had a chance to mow the lawn. Maybe somebody in this congregation could throw a lawnmower on a pickup truck and come over to my house and maybe mow the lawn for me once or twice. Maybe somebody can meet my wife and I at the ball field or the playground so that the foster children we have can have other kids to play with for a half hour on a Sunday afternoon. If you can't welcome a child into your home as a foster parent, maybe you can do a couple of those things to support a family who does. This is our new model. This is the new story of your United Methodist Children's Home. uh, And and this is the new story that we're trying to write for children. Part of what we're seeing now as as, as this comes to life, this ministry of the church in foster care comes to life, is we are seeing children, sometimes adopted, although most of the time not, but sometimes adopted. And in some of those cases, children are baptized in the church by a pastor. Just imagine Pastor Mike conducting a baptism ceremony for a child who's come into this congregation through foster care and adoption. Sometimes adult children are baptized as believers because they never had that experience as an infant in their tradition. We have kids now who are youth delegates at the annual conference in Athens, Georgia, every summer who were adopted by... Christian families and Methodist churches who've gotten active in their local congregations and are now youth delegates at annual conference. Those are stories of children and families that are being rewritten. Next Sunday, you will take the Amazing Grace offering for the United Methodist Children's Home. We have some envelopes uh, to help with that. I pray that you be thinking about what your financial contribution can be uh, so that when you come back next Sunday, you're prepared to make a generous gift to your United Methodist Children's Home your financial support is essential for us to care for those 240 people every day. Furthermore, as uh, as Pastor Mike mentioned earlier, we are hosting a special information session on the 24th of September uh, at the Vine, and I have a little card that I'll give to you later if you'd like to take it away, take it back home with you. Uh, this is a two-hour session, so this is where you would come if you sense that God's tugging on your heart right now, and if the Spirit is moving. And you're thinking, you know what? We have that extra room in our house. We can have a kid in our house for 12 months, which is normally how long uh, a foster placement lasts. Our family could love a child who just needs a little love and a little support. Or maybe you'd like to volunteer and provide meals or transportation. This is the opportunity for you to come and to learn more about a local foster care ministry where perhaps you as a congregation can participate together in that. Um, So why don't you see me later? and take one of these cards, and we could talk more about that. (laughs) Stories, my friends, are important. Um, I would encourage you to sharpen your story and to share your story. I actually believe that as we share our story, our story of walking this earth with Jesus Christ, uh, that that's our greatest tool in inviting other people into a relationship with Jesus, and it's our greatest tool to build the kingdom here on earth. So thank you. Thank you. For the opportunity to be with you and worship here this morning. It's been my privilege to join with you. We're gonna show you a brief one minute video. Thank you. Amen. Ellen with United Methodist Children's Home. Hey, this is Matt with Clark County DeFacts. I'm looking for a home for two kids, siblings. The parents ended up being arrested due to obvious drug use in the home. <laughs> have to separate them do you have any homes that would work that are close together we already said no eight times this week and it's only tuesday so sick of kids sleeping in hotels with contracted employees fortunately we have several families that will soon be approved for both children In the meantime, I'll talk to the family to get them ready for placement of two, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Thanks.